that's a good feeling, isn't it? To do something and to make yourself productive. And that's what God made us to do that. Really satisfying. Haddon Robinson, Dr. Robinson, professor at Dallas Seminary for years and years and years, speaking about this whole thing of work and maybe having too much work or, or not working, he put it this way, I've had too much to do and I've had too little. And I'll tell you that too much is far better than too little. Right? Don't you hate being a clock watcher? Oh, you watch that clock, it doesn't move. Right? Doesn't move. I like having a list and it's like a race. I don't know if I can get through it today. Oh my, race. Isn't that better? Amen? Much better than sitting around watching the grass grow. Oh, oh my. Well, our text today provides a window. It's a wonderful window into the soul of the Lord Jesus as he presses on to finish his calling with a heart full of compassion. Uh, He would courageously complete his work undeterred. He would do what he came to do. He would not be dissuaded. He would not just go on R&R. He just wouldn't uh, kick back and relax, nor would he run away from danger. But with unwavering courage, he would continue until the job was done. Like the hourglass. You ever play those uh, family games that include an hourglass? It's your turn, right? You flip it over and you got 30 seconds, and the sands of time are passing through, and you're like, uh, and sometimes it paralyzes you. You go, oh, I knew the word when I came in, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're too, you lost, flip it over, now it's your t- That's life, right? The sands in the hour, and it's running out. Time is like that, and, and so on. Well, there are two lessons, only two points. Hopefully we'll get done at a decent time. Uh, For us, as we hear Jesus express his drive to complete his Father's will. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, I say to you. God always finishes what he starts. If he began the good work in you, Paul says, he's going to finish it. He's a finisher. He's a You know, all of us, we have to admit, we're far greater starters than we are finishers, right? Aren't we? You ever see the start of a marathon? Mark, you were telling me about Boston there. A lot of these celebrities are in there at the beginning, and they're going to run. They don't make a few miles, maybe. They carry them out, especially this year. Was it hot this year? Yeah, it was hot. You know, they, they start. Oh, they look good at the, at the beginning, right? You ever run a race like that? Holy moly. And all the projects we begin, and, and studies and programs and books and academic uh, degrees, and, and like, uh, we're great at starting, aren't we? Amen? Are you that way? Great at starting? How about diets? Holy cow, I've started, I can't tell you. I'm going to start again exercising. I told you what they say at the Y, right? You get all these people flooding down there in the first couple weeks of January. Some of the old timers, they're kind of grumpy, you know, in the men's room. That, uh, you know, they're, they're like, can't wait to the third week of January when these, uh, all these New Year resolution people drop out. <laughs> can't get a locker in here. You know, like, yeah, we're great at starting, right? Well, the, the truth is, much of life is starting and starting up again. Get up. Righteous man falls seven times, and he gets up. That may be the best thing you get to. Get up again. What are you doing laying around? Get up. Get up. You're going to get stepped on if you're on the football field laying around. Well, well, God always finishes. Praise the Lord for that. His work in my life seems like sometimes I'm working against him. He's, uh, you know, he's the potter, we're the clay, you know, uh, Lord, wow, thank you for that 
What an encouragement that is to me. Well, the first lesson we see in verses 31, 2, and 3, as we hear Jesus express his drive to complete his Father's will, the first lesson is Jesus was determined to stay the course until finished. Let's read the text. Verse 31 of Luke 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox. Now that's kind of fun. <laughs> He's talking about the king here. Here's the Son of God, the Lord of glory, on his mission, doing his work, speaking in, in a way that is not, uh, unless you're really into foxes, you know, like I'm in the fox, you know, I, I, it, it's sort of a derogatory. Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Let's just stop there. The first lesson is Jesus determined to stay the course until he's finished with it. There are times when you may be discouraged, and it happens a lot, doesn't it? I mean, we get discouraged, we get afraid, uh, we uh, like say, uncle, I give up, I can't do this anymore, whatever that this is, and we're tempted to just say, that's it, I quit. I'm just going to go hide or vegetate, draw the blinds, stay indoors, give up, give up, I'm going to just quit. Well, I'm, uh, we're, we're here to see in the life of Jesus that we are to do what God made us to do, and the time has given us to do it, because it's going. It's going. You don't get a redo. We've talked about that in plenty of weeks. I want a redo. Now you don't get a redo. Time's going. Time like money, you only get a chance to spend it once. When it's gone, it's gone. That was another lesson I had to teach. We taught our kids, you can only spend money once. I didn't have that idea. <laughs> Be careful what you do with it. Only one. Time is like that. When the hour's gone, pretty soon we'll be gone. We'll all scatter here, and that'll be it. And we'll never be together, each into it, like oh, this group again. There'll be a difference, and they'll be gone. Well, some of the A, some of the Pharisees delivered a death threat to Jesus, verse 31. Very strange, this death threat, uh, as the Pharisees were not his friends. I mean, he's, he's had pretty sharp words to say about, you're out of the kingdom, and you're, you know, a lot of things. And they're like, here they come in, they're, and they're delivering this death threat. Can you get the picture here? Like, hey, Lord, you better skedaddle, get out of here fast, like beat it. Why? Why? Herod's going to kill you. You know, like, it, it, it makes you want to say, well, what's their motive? You know, what, what is it that they, is, uh, is, it, uh, is it on the up and up? I mean, uh, perhaps they merely wanted him to leave the area. Uh, King Herod, this is Herod Antiochus, had issued the threat, and it was a bona fide threat. He had already uh, chopped John the Baptist's head off. I mean, this, uh, this guy was an insecure uh, uh, king, and uh, he had murdered so many in his family already. If he thought some of his family or his wives were out to outmaneuver him in his rulership, he just went and had him executed. 
what a, what a nice guy. He's the kind of guy you want for a neighbor. I'd like to have him live next door to me. No, it was a bona fide threat. This guy uh, was uh, nasty, to say the least. Uh, and, uh, and so the Pharisees' counsel to him was what? Cut and run. Save yourself. Get away. Get away. You know, you hear a lot today about paranoia. It's, you know, the, the psychobabble day we live in. Everybody likes a label. Yeah, I'm multiple personality. Yeah, I'm schizophrenic. Yeah, I'm paranoid. You know, paranoia, right? I'm, well, what's the matter with you? Why do you act? I'm paranoid. <laughs> yeah, you ever think about that with paranoia? Paranoid? Uh, you're, you're, to be paranoid means you think somebody's gonna, out to get you. Anyone felt that way? I got news for you. If somebody is really out to get you, you are not paranoid. You're in trouble. I mean, you see reality as it really is. That's not paranoia. <laughs> and he is coming to kill the Lord of glory if he can, and so they're carrying uh, the word. Get him out of here. It was a plausible threat. Well, this passage is unique in that it shows the inner thinking of Jesus in this area. What would he do? Would he cut? Would he run? How does that fit in? Well, you see that Jesus is unflappable in his response to this death threat, right? Is he going to cut and run? Is he going to hide? Is he going to move about at night? No way. No way. He would courageously continue. Verse 32, he calls this king that fox. He doesn't even have the, the, uh, the, uh, the desire to call him by name. Now, in that day, uh, a fox, you know, like we think, oh, fox, oh, that's cunning, that's sly, oh, he's crafty. It didn't mean that in, in that day. The fox was compared to a lion. A king wanted to be a lion, right? King of the jungle, king, mighty, strong. That a fox was a very demeaning term. Uh, I think I have it on your sheet here. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it implied weakness, destructiveness. Uh, it implied no dignity. It meant really that uh, Jesus, in his eyes, considered Herod to be an insignificant third-rate person as opposed to a person of real power and real dignity. He's a fox. You may think he has uh, power, but it's only borrowed power, and he's a weakling anyway. And so uh, I'm not going to run and hide because of any third-rate king or because of anyone for that matter. And later, just uh, look ahead, Jesus would also insult Herod at that uh, monkey trial. Remember all the trials that Jesus endured? I mean, they were pathetic, they were illegal, and one of them was, was when Jesus was drugged in front of Herod, this Herod, and I have a reference on, uh, in, in the text, and yeah, chapter 23, 9, uh, and uh, Herod is thrilled to death to finally see Jesus in his court, uh, and uh, it makes inquiry of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't give him the honor to even answer. I mean, that is almost the ultimate insult. You think about it. He asked a, a direct question by the king, and the Lord doesn't even answer. Now, let me say one thing about it. Non-answer is a, a response. That is a legitimate response. I know that sometimes... Yeah, some of you have wrestled with me on this thought, but uh, I, I agree with, uh, with those that say, you need not answer. I mean, these are crazy days we live in. I was reading something the other day 
that said, with the class warfare and the fighting and the job loss, particularly in some areas of, of the world, and it may filter here with some of the class enemy and all that, uh, there may be fighting in the street and all this. Oh, it's just kind of horrible. We need to pray more for our country. Uh, it's their spiritual needs at the core of it and then beyond that. And the answer isn't just to get, you know, I'm going to get 30 uh, rifles and like buckets of ammunition. You know, uh, no, we need to pray and all that. And uh, if the government ever turns hostile against uh, the Christian community, and that could easily happen, easily flip. Do you know that it's estimated there are 400 Christians that die in the world every single day because of their faith? 400! And it can easily switch. And if somebody comes knocking at your door and you're having a satellite prayer meeting or Bible study in your basement and you answer the door, I'm saying to you, silence is a legitimate response. They say, are you having a prayer meeting in that basement? You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I always tell the truth. Yeah, that's right. But, don't lie, but another option, third option, door number three, don't say anything. Don't have to say anything. Don't incriminate anyone inside. Don't say anything. And who knows? They may think you're just mentally, grossly deficient, which most of us probably are, and think like, oh, that guy's a nut, and God puts it, and they leave without entering and finding Christians in the basement or something. Jesus, standing in trial, asked a direct question by this, this third-rate king at a, a monkey trial, refuses him the dignity of even an answer, and remains silent. And there, in fulfillment of the Scripture, that even before his shearers, like a lamb, he was silent. It was a great statement of prophetic fulfillment as well. Wow. Well, this earthly king would not cause him to detour his plans. He, he, his response today, tomorrow, and the third day, uh, that is to say, he would continue just as planned, and he would complete his work, that kingdom work to deliver people today and tomorrow. This day, this day, and it's a definite, he, uh, th that kind of an answer is, a, uh, is certainly a, uh, is a cultural answer, and they understood it well today, tomorrow, and the third day, and we're looking like, well, that means three days. Is he referring to three days? Is he going to be in Jerusalem? No, that's not. It's, a, it's an idiom, if you will. Some of you have studied foreign languages, and some of you have lived in, in countries of foreign language, and you've studied it, and you come to understand that idioms are the language. The language in print is formal, and it's reproducible, and it's exact, but it's not the way people speak. People speak idiomatically, with idioms. And we'll use phrases that we go like, uh, well, you, I'm hold, holding you to that exactness of that. No, they're, they're phrases that we, we tell somebody, chill out, go chill. We don't mean go jump in the freezer, right? <laughs> cool down here a little bit, chill. We mean relax by that. But the, the idioms fill our vocabulary the way we speak. And idiomatic uh, today, tomorrow, third day was an idiomatic clause, and that day it meant like, I'm right on schedule, it's not going to be very long, but the third day I'm going to finish what I'm doing. And that's exactly, and, and on your sheet I think I, I showed that there, the third day was not literal, uh, you know, uh, 72 hours later, but was an expression that meant until finished. I'll, gonna, I'll, I'll keep on course until I finish. Though Satan should try to buffet him and change his course, he would not. 
It is finished. You remember that? That was one of the last words from the cross. That's a blessed study. Have you, have you read some of those studies on that? The seven last words from the cross? A word meaning an expression? Because when you look at the Gospels, there are seven things that Jesus said while nailed to the cross. Isn't that interesting that there are seven? That's the biblical number for completeness. Seven. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember that? Uh, then he... Then he said, today you'll be with me in paradise today, the penitent thief. He said, I thirst. He gave his mother to John's care. Remember that? He took care of her even in his final. And, and there are these beautiful clauses, and uh, one of them is to Telestai. It is finished. It is, it's the triumph of the general, the shout, when he looks at the battlefield in victory secure. Complete, finished. Telios, tele, uh, to Telestai. It's finished. Wow, John 19.30, Jesus would continue. He'll continue, and he tells us this is what his work is, casting out demons. That is, it was a picture that ultimately Satan and his cohorts would be totally and utterly defeated and healing the sick. There we find the result of sin, sin, sickness, death would be reversed, and he would be triumph over that. All through the cross, through his stripes, we are healed. You know, it doesn't mean that, uh, that God uh, expects every Christian, desires every Christian to be healthy and well. We hear a lot about that. It's a cruel teaching. It really is a cruel teaching. It's not biblical. Through his stripes, we are healed is figurative, speaking of our sin. But physically, it is ultimately true. Because when you're in glory, you're not going to be taking aspirin or blood pressure medicine. Boy, I wish I'd get rid of these things. No Lipitor, none of these things, because your body is going to be better than ever. We're going to have more hair than ever, look better than ever. It will be gloriously great. And so, ultimately and finally, it is true, through his stripes, we are healed. But it is not true that every moment of every day, God wants every one of his sheep to be healthy and well. Listen, there are times that God can speak to us when we are laying on beds of sickness when we don't have time to hear or we won't hear or we can't hear when we're carrying on normal daily life. I mean, that's true in my life. Laying on the bed, looking up. I think that is, you know, prophetic. And yes, Lord, I, I got, you got my attention. And then think of all the good things that God does through our weaknesses. I just think of one like Joni Erickson Tata. We wouldn't even know her name if she hadn't suffered that spinal injury. And, and, uh, and God has used her to touch millions and millions and millions of people. And she's a quad. Oh, it's amazing how God's able to do that. And he does. He works through weakness. Because when things are going well and we're strong, like, I can handle it, Lord, I'll take it from here. Right? Isn't that our attitude? But when the props are knocked out and all we had is look up, we go like, Lord, wow, if you don't help me with the next step, I'm not going to make it. And then we realize how puny, small, and frail we really, really are. And so his ministry of healing the sick instantly, oh, I love that so much. Not three days later, you open the eyes instantly, right? He raised the dead instantly. You, th you think we'd have a Bible today if it was like three months later? I think he had a cold and he got over it. You know, his immune system was weakened instantly. That's the story 
of uh, the work of God in the Lord's own words. It's a, a picture of the ultimate defeat of Satan and the effects of sin and uh, in its dissolution of our body. Well, Jesus was not afraid of a death threat. I mean, you, you never see the Lord afraid. I love that. And, you know, he tells us, fear not. We're so timid and we're afraid and, and, and so many things are bigger than us and it overwhelms us in our homes and in, in our lives. And we go, you'll search the Scripture, you'll never see. He's terrified. Never. His courage, it's just like, he just keeps going. In fact, when you walk into the, the pages of the final week, his Passion Week, you, you look and go like, I think he's in control of every single thing going on. I mean, he's in charge of it all. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Do you think like, oh, I wish they hadn't chosen him. I wanted them to choose me. No, he's in charge of the whole thing. I mean, the, the glory of God in Christ is amazing. He's not afraid of death as his whole purpose in coming was to be the death of death and the work on the cross. He alluded to the, his death when he talked about Jerusalem in 33. Looks back, looks at their history. I must, uh, must go to Jerusalem because a prophet, speaking of himself, should perish, should not perish away from Jerusalem. We'll speak about more of that in, in a moment. Jesus completely trusted his Father as he journeyed forward in doing his will. Just as Jesus, we too are indestructible, doing his will until our time is up. And that's not too big of an application to make here. You know that? I mean, you will not live one day longer than God has designed you to live. God will not say, well, gee, I didn't know Dave Maul was going to live that long. You know? Or, gee, Terry, I didn't know your father was going to die at such a young age. God knows all of it. It's all prescribed. I mean, he is really that great. We stand on this globe, hung by nothing, worked in the forces and the glory and the wonder of what God has done, and here we are. And we just arrived. Have you noticed? Some of you have been around here a little bit longer, I can tell by looking, unless the years haven't been that good. But really, we've not been here that long, have we? And we drink uh, God's water and breathe His air, and He gets this thing. You know, and your heart only rests between beats. That's a bummer. They ought to unionize hearts. That's not much of a rest break. Don't I get 20 minutes? Don't do that. <laughs> Amazing how God has made us. Get the bigger picture here. And you are indestructible. You'll live exactly as long as... And so loosen up, lighten up. Don't be afraid. Be men and women of courage. Serving the Lord, pressing on, doing what he has desired you to do. Jesus' example shows us how to do our own ordinary work of Christian service. Keep working away at whatever it is that God has given you to do. Work at it until you're finished. Keep teaching and helping. Keep serving. Keep loving until your work or time is done. Don't, don't be intimidated by any opposition you may face. And there is opposition. Opposition in our homes, our families at times, our neighborhoods, sometimes in churches. Some of you have told me stories of those in the church that, that rose up against the gospel and, and, uh, and so on. I heard a terrible story this week. Faithy's, uh, I didn't have a chance to say it later, but it's re really a terrible thing where, where uh, over in Lancaster County, um, Faithy's brother, Paul, Paul died a couple years ago. He helped the pastor there, and it's a church uh, 
that has struggled, and Ruth has continued, Faithy's sister-in-law there, and um, the, the pastors had some deep struggles. And the deacons, I would say, were not what they should have been. And they made it very hard for him, and he battled and battled and battled. And he'd been there 18 years, and we got the call. He killed himself. The pastor couldn't take it anymore. Can you believe the audacity? Uh, they had a meeting, and they asked him to leave the meeting for almost two hours. He sat in a room by himself while they carried on without him. I bet those men are horrified today, brokenhearted. Man, 53. I didn't mean to say that, but I'm, I'm telling you, there's grief and pain and sorrow everywhere. You know, press on, keep going. Jesus illustrates that, doesn't he? Courageously, he does. Courageously. I was, gonna, I was thinking, <laughs> my, my, uh, one of my literature teachers would be happy. I was thinking about the Lord to see, like, it, it, nothing's going to deter him from going. And I thought of the charge of the light brigade. Do any of you remember that at all? Charge of the light, one, anyone? Raise your hand if you know the charge. Of, hey, a few of you do. Reminds me, really, of the courage. The British forces uh, in the mid-1800s going in deep into Russia. The light brigade, not the heavy, not the heavy with a colonnade and all that, but the light brigade, 600. It reminded me of a glimpse of the courage going into the belly of death. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left, cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thunders, stormed at shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. The charge of the light brigade. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wandered. Plunged into the battery smoke, right through the line they broke, uh, right into the line they broke, Cossack and Russian, reeled from the saber strokes, scattered, sundered. Then they rode back, but not the 600. Not all of them made it. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them, volleyed and thundered, stormed with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They had fought so well, came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, and all that was left of them, left of the 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honor the charge they made, honor the light brigade. Noble 600. Oh, the charge of the light brigade, charging into the mouth of hell. I mean, that's just the, here's the Lord Jesus. In a far greater way, in a far greater work, he's, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, he wasn't going there to, like, I'd go there to see the sights. I'm going to visit the old churches there. And all. <laughs> we were there. And going there to get killed and do the greatest work. He would not flee, steadfast, charge of the life. And the second lesson, quickly, because we're out of that. Jesus didn't lose his compassion for people. You know, when we work with people and we're doing what God wants to do, have you noticed sometimes, have you noticed people let us down? Have you ever been let down? Sometimes pastors say, I love the ministry. It's the people, I'll tell you. <laughs> See, some of you know what that means. <laughs> 
It's the people. Oh, man, people, aren't we critters? And, you know, we can end up just going through the motions. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll give my life. I mean, we see the heart of the Lord Jesus. He's willing to do that undeterred. He's going to do it with all his heart, with a love for the people that hated him. You can't do that naturally. I got news for you. You know, like someone punches the eye, you want to bop them back, right? And I'll raise you one. <laughs> it is only the love of Jesus that can flow through you to make you do that, to return a soft answer, to love people. That is the love of God through us. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus did this great work, and he never lost his compassion. Though people may hurt you and fail you, don't let your heart become hardened. Jesus wept, he lamented here, and so should we. Oh my. Hey, Jesus offered a lament, a dirge. Look at verse 34 and 5. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. Oh, those are bad words. Behold, your house is forsaken. It's the word abandoned. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this dirge, he expresses anguish of heart over the rebellion of the people of Jerusalem, God's people. How ironic. What a place of privilege. I mean, you talk about, oh, beautiful for situation, the joy of all the earth, the city of Jerusalem. I, listen, I couldn't wait to visit Jerusalem years ago, 1985, first time I went. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to see the city of Zion, the city of David and all that. I'd studied it from the little boy all the way up and studied it in college and seminary. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. What a city of privilege. And what an I irony. I mean, they're privileged. They're the center of the nation, the temple, the seat of government, the prophets. I mean, if you were anyone, you were from that city. <laughs> I mean, it's the city of God, right? But the irony is, is they, they are best known for their butchering of men of God and the people of God, the people that were sent to the, the people in Jerusalem. Think of Zechariah, they stoned him uh, at the temple in 2 Corinthians 24, 2 Chronicles 24. What about Jeremiah? They didn't treat him very well either there. That was a rough tenure of a ministry, and, and on and on and on it goes. This place of such great privilege really hurt the men and women of God, God's messengers. And the, the language that Jesus uses, that of a caring mother, a mother hen. We use that image. Oh, she's like a mother hen. You know, like there, there was on my staff uh, a number of years ago, uh, a man and his wife, and they had oodles of children, oodles of children. And she, she would tell, she really felt like it was her, her livelihood to, uh, uh, to spend a lot of time with the little ones when they're little, and then when they get older, then he can have them. And uh, she'd take all these little ones, <laughs> and they were, I mean, they, there was a whole, whole, and I come from a family of seven kids. I was second of seven, so, I mean, this succeeded that. And uh, 
Oh, she's a mother hen. We know what that is. Her brood all following her around the mall or wherever, right? That's the image. It's the image of Jesus. This is God verily attempting to provide safety and security and, and protection for his own. It really shows us the heart of God, doesn't it? You say, does God really love me that much? And Jesus is uh, telling us the very love of, of God seen in Jesus, attempting to woo and to call the people of God of the city of Jerusalem. But you would not. And when did Jesus do that? Well, he'd been to this city many times. But uh, I think more importantly, Jesus was the sender of the prophets. And it was the voice of his voice through them calling the people back to God. I don't know if you realize that, but every time uh, in preaching, when the, the Word of God is presented and unfolded, uh, I, would, uh, I would wish that as long as it accurately reflects the Scripture, you'd, that I would disappear, and you would see that it is the voice of God calling you, every one of us, to do business with God. Wherever it is that we are in life, some are in unbelief, and it's God's call through his spokesman through the Spirit of God, to bring newness of life. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye, uh, or uh, uh, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the voice of Christ. That's the voice of God. When uh, you teach in your families, in your home, and, and you open the Scriptures, and, that, and you, you take those few moments when everyone's rushing around, and it's crazy land. It's always like that. It's not like those pictures. They're a lie. Those pictures where Dad's sitting there, in the big chair. And mom is looking adoringly on. Oh, he's the Apostle Paul. And the kids are just smiling and they're just... That never happened at our house. Ever. So get that out of your mind because a lot of you quit saying, I can't do the picture. The picture never happened in real life. Right? But every time you and I in those teachable moments, driving, eating, uh, whatever, bedtime, bedtime's a good time. Uh, and we're teaching. It's the voice of God. As a dad to his children, to, to his daughter, in our Sunday school class, in our youth, it's, it's, it's the voice of God reaching through and calling people to respond. That's what Jesus is saying. I, I have, I've tried many times. I've sent my prophets. I've called through them. And today Jesus is calling, and I wonder what he is saying in your heart today, what, what he wants to accomplish, so maybe new birth. Maybe you began well, but you've got way off the track. Oh, so easy to. One sin leads to another, and pretty soon you're like, Where? I'm, I'm way off. He's calling us back, calling you back to a place of blessing and obedience and fruitfulness. And they refused. Verse 34b, they refused. You refused. His compassion comes through here. Many refused, and the same is today. Listen, if we don't come to Christ, it's not because God didn't invite us. Nobody will ever say that, you know. I'm not in heaven. I didn't believe. I wasn't invited. It's not like some exclusive party in Hollywood, you know. Did you get your invite to the... I told you that before my friend had an invite to Richard Nixon's inauguration. It was pretty flashy looking. He was like showing me Richard, Milhouse, Nixon, the... The third, not third, third, I think it said. And he is in Boston and all that. <laughs> I got this and you didn't. <laughs> nobody will be in heaven uh, before the judgment saying, you didn't invite me. That Nobody there. 
You can never blame God. Don't delay. Come. Come. Will Jesus make the same lament for you? He longed to gather you, but you would not. What can we say by way of lessons for our life and will be done? Number one, lessons for our life. We too need a firm commitment to do God's work. All of our days until he is finished with us. I mean, have you resolved this in your mind? It's a question. Have you made resolution? Are you going to be like, Paul, I have finished the course. Finished. To be a finisher. Finisher. Give yourself to it. Finish the course that God has laid for you. And that's a commitment, and it's a daily renewal. I'm convinced of that in my own mind. Daily, as you say, Lord, here I am today. Use me. Stretch me, grow me, make me a blessing. I want to do that. I don't want to quit too soon. You ever see people, they're always holding back, running a race, and then they break the tape, and, or they don't break the tape because they don't win, but they were holding back. You thought they are going to have a big kick at the end. No, that didn't happen. Holding back, holding back. Don't hold back. Number two, don't be surprised when Satan may tempt to, change, uh, to, change, uh, uh, to tempt you to change course. Save yourself. Make you the center of your thoughts. I remind you again, life is not about you. I know we have that wonderful song we sing. It's not about you. It's not. And I find myself singing that a lot. It's all about him. It's all about him. For me to live is Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that's how a Christian ought to live. That ought to be the heartbeat of your life. It's not about you. Number three, ask the Lord to give you a tender heart of compassion for people. People that have hurt you. He will. Don't shut yourself off. Don't let it get hard. You can easily do that. Write people off. You're off. You know, you got this list. Just crossing people off. Just and like, I'm going to shut down. Oh, you might, we might as well have your funeral then because you're like dead already. you got to be vulnerable. Better to love and lose than never love at all. And say, Lord, give me a tender heart. Now, here's this, it's not rocket science. Just pray for the people. You, you pray for them by name. Every day, the one that you say, I, I think I, I, if I could hate, you know, I, I, God, I, I, I know I hate to say it, but I, I would hate them. All right? There you go. There's a list. You're thinking of some names right now. Take a piece of paper and write their name down. One, two, three. And, and, and that becomes your prayer list. I guarantee you. It's done it in my life. Okay? I begin to pray for them. All of a sudden, God begins to tendermize my heart. You know, like, and then when I see them, I'm like, happy. And they're like, he smiled at me. <laughs> and bit by bit by bit, and God restores as much as lies within you. You see? Otherwise, you're the living dead. You are. You just cry. And Jesus didn't do that. No, you wouldn't believe me. That's it. You're out. No. Oh, he's, he has a heart for people that he knows are going to kill him in a couple days. God help us. I want to be a part of a church like that. Listen, we're all going to fail each other, right? I've already failed you so many times. You know, I say, amen on that one. <laughs> Just pray for me, right? Let's pray for each other. This is called a, a family. Let's, 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 oh, Lord, help. 
Number four, just as the people of Jerusalem were finally abandoned by God, and they were because they rejected Christ. So I'm reminded abandonment will be the final state of all who reject Jesus as Savior. Abandoned in hell forever. How, how horrible is that? I can't, I can't even think how horrible that is. For those who reject Christ, the door will close. And that's number five, unless there's still time. There is still time. Remember last week we said the gospel is a, a limited time offer thing. And soon the time will be gone. Urge your friends and family and loved ones and people you know to come to, to, to know Christ the Lord and to be saved. Urge them. Urge them. For tomorrow may be really too late. Wow. Well, finish the job, Faithy says. Finish the job. Get things done. I, that's, that's Steve Green, huh? Well, that's a good one anyway. May God help us. Oh, Lord, help. Father, thank you so much for this day and this wonderful text, Lord. It challenges us in so many ways. And, and I just pray that Christ the Lord would be lifted up, that we would see ourselves a part of something very big that counts forever, that you keep our hearts tender, and that we would press toward the mark and finish the course that you have laid out already for us. May we be faithful. We're often so unfaithful. Forgive us of that. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in and through us. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with uh, one of my favorite songs. You are my all in all. And this is where the guys and gals can share some different parts. So would you stand with us, please? Jesus, Lamb of